0: Where do you put yourself in this story? Who are you with? Are you one of the Israelites who is enslaved? Or are you with Pharaoh? It's a very interesting place to work out. Because if we come as one of the Israelites, inside of us is this story that we've heard, but actually there's 400 years of not really knowing whether God's going to do anything. And when he actually sends someone to try and do something... Our lives just get harder. Pharaoh has just said, now we're going to have to go and hunt for straw ourselves and then still produce the same amount of bricks. There is something of doubt about the power of this God that is in the air. If you're an Egyptian, there's 400 years of these people being slaves. If you're an adult as an Egyptian, you have never known a world without the Israelites as slaves. Never. Never. In your mind, the idea of an Egypt without Israelite slaves is foreign. Absolutely foreign. There's no connection point for you. And so when Moses says, let them go into the wilderness, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's like, why? Why would we do that? So any opportunity to refute whatever Moses says, you'll just take very easily because it's there. Why should we believe you when our magicians are doing the exact same thing that you're doing. Surely your God is no different from Mamet or Ra or whoever it is that they are worshipping. And so we enter this space where there is a duel happening now uh, between uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's trying to liberate this family, and Pharaoh, who declares himself God, who is more powerful than the other. But I'd love us to dig a little bit deeper than that and ask why is it that the God who was powerful enough to part the Red Sea begins by doing small things? Why? Why ten plagues? One after the other, after the other, after the other. Why? Why start with a snake uh, turning into a stick, or the vice versa, stick turning into a snake. Why not go all in? He is capable of doing what he did in the end, which is to wipe out the whole Egyptian army. Why? Why? And the big word, which I hope you remember, is repentance and the call to repentance. There are certain things which we have inherited which are not particularly the best. So if we place ourselves with the Israelites, we never learn the call of God to assess the world that we live in, to assess the things that we take for granted, the things that are normal to us, and to ask whether they are Christ-focused, to ask whether they are God's intent. And we miss what carries on through the story of this family which is the call of God's prophets to the world and to the Israelites to turn away from certain things. We'll return to that towards the end. The plague of blood, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the and All the water was changed into blood. Verse 22. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. First thing to point out is the sign points to the message. So when Moses and Aaron are told the, the water's going to turn into blood, they're told that they should tell Pharaoh, by this you will know that I am the Lord. The sign points to the message. When you see this happening, you will know that I am the Lord. When you see this happening, you will know that I am the Lord. I had a brief moment thinking about why the water was the first thing to be uh, plagued. And um, just thinking through the history of Egypt and the Egyptian empires, their cities depended on the river. Where Egypt is located isn't the most green and sort of flourishing place. They really depended on the river. Where they set up their big cities depended on the river. So actually, this was a conversation on what is the resource of your strength? What is the source of your strength? Second thing to note was that um, the river was the place where the people who uh, were alive when Moses was born saw the children who were slain thrown. So there is something of God pointing to a time when the waters were bloody and saying to them, actually, don't forget. Don't forget. So the whole land of Egypt. Misses out on good drinking water so that they would know that this is the Lord. What happens? The Egyptian magicians do the same thing by their secret acts, and Pharaoh's heart gets harder. The sign is not enough for me to believe the message. The sign is not enough for me to believe the message. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. And here I find grace from God because he could have made sure there was no water at all. But it leaves a little bit. But they don't take it as grace from God. They take it as a lack of power and do not repent. The plague of frogs Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. So this gets a step closer now. It's no longer the river. This is getting closer to where you are. No longer out there. now here with you and your officials stretch out your hand verse 5 over all the streams and canals same ritual so Pharaoh summons Moses verse 8 pray to the Lord and take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices first time Pharaoh bends Moses says to Pharaoh I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials you decide the time I will talk to God, and he will do it according to your timing. Moses' faith has grown, because this is the first time he is saying something which God has not actually said to him to say. He's actually, he's he's speaking in faith that God will do what he has asked. I leave the honor to you. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, it'll be as you say, verse 10, so that you may know, again, the sign to the message, so that you may know that there is no one like And the Lord did what Moses asked, verse 13. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled with the heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Um, What are the things that we draw from just this part for us today? What are the things that are close enough to us that if we are told about repentance, we would change our hearts from? Uh, I had a conversation with someone on Wednesday about um, fair trade goods uh, and uh, the inequalities in our society. Had a conversation with someone else about the homelessness problem. Had a conversation with someone about loneliness. I had a conversation with someone about global inequality I had a conversation with someone about racism. I had a conversation with someone about sexism. At what point do we stop being allies to those who are enslaved? Is it when our comforts are returned to us? Do we forget when we're having the bananas or drinking the tea or eating the mangoes or having the avocados, the there is, there is a system to which these things arrive to us which benefits us but doesn't benefit others. Have we grown up or lived in a place where we're so used to there being slaves that we forget that actually it's a horrible existence for someone? And so when when Pharaoh says, let the plague end tomorrow and I will let your people go, he's actually saying, okay, um, I see the connection between the thing that I'm doing that is wrong and the effect on the people. So if you stop what you're doing, God, whose sign is telling me is powerful, I will stop what I am doing. I will repent. And so what happens? It stops. It gets a bit more comfortable. And then what? the journey towards repentance halts. So when we, I'm just pointing forward towards the 10th the, 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 the plague, when we get to the point where Pharaoh's heart is hard, I want us to recognize these little steps where he went, I see this is the problem, but actually I'm not going to change because you've solved the problem now. I see this is the problem, but actually I'm not going to change because you've solved the problem but actually, the solution is a surface problem, not a systematic solution, which Pharaoh's in charge of. And so follows the plague of um, gnats. I can never say it correctly. Who knows how to say that word? Na- gnats. Nats, gnats, gnats, gnats. A lot of people called Natalie invading Egypt, plague of gnats. They get a step closer than the frogs because frogs are by your feet, you could kick them off but insects are here, aren't they? It's now, the, the convenience level is, is a little bit closer, isn't it, it's getting, it's getting just a little bit closer. How does my giving affect the, the globe in response to God's graciousness towards me? Gets a bit closer. What does repentance mean for me at this place that is not at my feet and things I can kick away? (laughs) Now it's here. Now it's here. It's it's right close to me. How do the clothes I'm buying affect social inequality? How, 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 How does my life, how I live it, how I walk, eat, affect the homeless person sleeping on the street? Because that is the connection to which God is asking us to think, I think, through this passage. Nats. Next come the flies. At the end of the flies, let's let's read it actually from verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes through the river again to the water. This is what the Lord says, let my people go so they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow." And here we find the first foreshadowing of what's going to come by the time we reach the 10th plague, where God is going to actually separate between those he is redeeming and those he is calling to repentance with the threat of judgment upon them if they do not repent. I will send these flies, which are insects, they'll be annoying, that's going to happen, but just so you know that this is now a unique Sign to point you to the message that I am God and my way is the only way, the truth and the life, I am going to separate these people. and They will have no flies. You will have flies in your houses. You will have flies in your soup. You will have flies on your curtains. You will have flies everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Funny little side story. Uh, My aunt came from Sweden to visit us in Kenya. And she went with my mum to a butcher. And the butchers there are open air. And while she was at the butcher's, she noticed next to the butcher's store a store with loads of nice little jewelry. So she went to the jewelry store while my mum was buying the meat. And she said to the jeweler, I really like this necklace. It's very shiny, it's incredible, it's beautiful. And the jeweler looked at the necklace, looked at my mum, smiled, and started laughing, and just tapped the, the, the necklace. Turned out, it was just a string with loads of flies (laughs) on it. With loads of flies on it. Point of the story is, um, if you've never had that many flies, that will be something. If you have never seen, someone said, flies go on holiday to, to, to some parts of the world, and Africa is one of those, for sure. They're really big ones. They go on absolutely everything. You get a nice piece of food, you're gonna eat it, and then there's a fly on it, and all of a sudden, you're like, what do I do? Now, can you imagine a plague? Because a plague is, is an intensity of that. Everywhere, absolutely everywhere. You can't waft it away, you can't swat it away. It's all there, everywhere, on the floor, everywhere. But you look at the people that you're used to being your servants, they're fine. Here's a sign, not just for Pharaoh, but for the Egyptians. And up to this point, we've not heard anything of the Egyptians. We've not heard anything of them saying, perhaps let's let this, these people go. We've not heard anything of their advocacy. We're seeing in Pharaoh, a collective heart. Being in Pharaoh, a collective heart. And God makes the distinction. Pharaoh complains with Moses. They have a little bit of a conversation. And this is how it goes. Pharaoh summoned Moses to Aaron. Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. Now let's negotiate. God, I, uh, I hear what you're saying, but can I just go halfway? Can I? Can I can I rip, not repent? I just get halfway to the P and stop. Moses is like, no, actually, um, if we do what is holy and right, it will be detestable to you. Unless you come the whole way, you're not going to understand what we're doing. You won't. Pharaoh says, okay, um, go, go, But ask the Lord first to stop this plague. Moses reminds him, last time you said this, you changed your mind. Last time you said this, you changed your mind. Pharaoh says, I won't. Moses goes, prays, and then in verse 32. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and won't let the people go. Um... Here we have a story of a people being called to repentance, a people being told about God and who he is. And it's a motif that's repeated throughout scriptures. When the Israelites are sinful and turning away from God towards idols, you have all the prophets coming. But even with God acting amongst them, the Egyptians turn away. The Israelites turn away. And they do so even when Jesus comes amongst them, among them. He comes and what does he do? He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He cleanses the leper. He, he, he reaches to the, effectively, the homeless people. He reaches to the lame man at the pool. He reaches, reaches to the blind man who calls out to him. Everybody's telling him, shut up. He reaches to the adulterous woman. He reach, reaches to the prostitute. And he does all these things to teach people something. One, that God is in amongst them. Feeding five thousand people with loaves, a few loaves and a few fish, God is there amongst them. But also that the system that they are living in is just not okay. It is not okay. It is not okay. Do they listen to the call to repentance? No. It's a motif, and what happens? Jesus dies and he resurrects, and he's vindicated. But then now we know, for us, that the axe is at the root of the tree. And the signs are there. God's calling us to a repentance. He's calling us to a Christianity, a way of living, that not only changes our hearts, but affects the way we live our lives. So that we are loving and advocates to those who are imprisoned, those who are oppressed by the systems that make us comfortable. There's no other way for me to make this home for you other than to tell you that I stand among you as a black man. I stand among you as someone who faces racism nearly every other day. I stand among you as a man who is black in the Church of England, and that's complicated. I stand among you as someone who has to translate what people are saying to me in order that I can hear it, translate what I'm saying to people in order that they can understand it. Otherwise, we get lost in cultural translation. I stand among you as someone who's not necessarily from this land, and every time someone asks me about it, I'm reminded of how different I am. And I'm standing here saying, actually, for you, your faith, what Jesus says to you, demands that you never let go of being an ally to those who are destitute, those who are out on the margins, those who are like me different to you. Because the system we are living in is happy for them to be oppressed. The axe is at the root of the tree. God is gracious and loving, but he is a judge. And we will see in the story how he comes and judges in order to set free You also are Israelites, so there are ways in which you need to uh, come before God and ask him to find allies for you. You have one in Jesus Christ. But the gift is a call to generosity. Let's be attentive to the voice of the prophets. Let's be attentive to the signs, and let us be ready to repent. More food for thought. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.